our good King Jesus for the strengthening of the church and for the protection of our own souls and offering um, of our commitments for the coming year to pay down our church debt, our, our capital campaign. We call it our journey of faith. And over the past couple of weeks, our elders have visited most all the small groups in the church, had some fascinating conversations with you all. Um, and we did that because we realized that we are asking a great sacrifice of you. We want to make sure that we are clear about the shape of that ask, ask and the nature of it, um, as well as listen to your insights and concerns. And several really good questions came out of those conversations that I wanted to share with you this morning because they came from different groups that not all of us were able to be a part of, but really were valuable for us. So what I'd like to do would be address some of those questions and then bring you a, a couple sources of encouragement before we worship God with that, that offering. Um, the, first, the first question that came up over and over again were uh, along the lines of, why does our church have two budgets, a general budget and then a capital budget? And, and somebody put it this way, and do people really give more because there are two budgets? And uh, <clears throat> first of all, we have two budgets because when we built these buildings, we determined that we would not rob our core ministries of the church to pay for a new building. We would, as a people, make a sacrificial gift above and beyond our regular giving um, to meet that need. So we separated that out and targeted it so we could give specifically with that extra sacrifice. And we do not give more simply because there are two budgets. We give more because our church has a great need. And so we do, we don't divide up our regular giving between two budgets now. We, on top of what we would normally give to the church, we have made a choice to give an extra sacrificial gift to help our church be debt-free. Being out of debt is not our mission. It's not the most important thing we do. But the scriptures do encourage that and do talk about how important it is to be out of debt. So we have structured our budgets to both facilitate our being debt-free and protect the mission of the church and our, and our priorities in our general budget. So the other question that comes up regularly about our <clears throat> this particular capital campaign is, uh, what's up with the journey of faith tithe? And let me explain what that is. 10% of what comes into our church dedicated for um, paying off our, our facilities debt, we give away. We give away to ministries outside of our, of our church in one form or another, typically. And we do that for a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, it's good for us to be reminded that we don't wait to be generous until our own needs are met. Okay? The scriptures, uh, in the Scriptures, God takes a special joy in the gifts that people give out of great need. So as a church family, we did not want to wait until we were out of debt to be generous. We are giving generous in the midst of our need. Okay. The, other, the other thing that, that that does for us is it's a reminder, kind of a down payment in our minds of what God can do through us when we are debt free and our hearts are trained to this greater level of generosity. We are eagerly looking forward to that day, which is in about five years or so at our present pace. So this year, we are going to take 10% of the money that comes in. We're going to give it 
<clears throat> to two of our missionaries who, are, who raise their own financial support and work for Wycliffe Bible Translators. Uh, Jenny works in Mexico, um, helping translate uh, the scriptures there, serving those who translate the scriptures into some of the language of the tribes there that do not yet have the scriptures. Uh, it'll also go, and this picture is kind of blurry, but you have to bear with it, to the Croslands in Papua New Guinea to buy them regular clothes. Okay? That's, what, that's what we're going to do for them. Um, they, they also work with Wycliffe in some of the remote areas there, supporting those who are translating the scriptures into languages where it is, does not yet exist. Uh, so so uh, we'll be doing that uh, with some of the money. Half of the money will go to our new, two new church plants in North Raleigh and Rollsville. We want to bless them this coming year with some extra resources. And we'll also be saving about a quarter of our tithe to give away to emergency disaster relief. You've been following what's going on in the Philippines. Um, that's a reoccurring kind of tragedy. We want to be ready as a church to be generous. And so we'll take some of this money, set it aside. Next year, should a crisis like this arise again, and it likely will, we want to be able to have a gift at the ready. And I can't help but think how much fun it's going to be when we don't write a check to our bank. We write a big check to scenarios like this and bless people at their time of their greatest need. So we give away 10% amidst our great need because it thrills God and it protects our own hearts. Okay? Now, other questions were raised about the giving profile of our church that I showed a couple uh, last week, I guess. This one is particular to our capital campaign. Let me explain it to you and then, and then give you some insight, I hope, out of it. Um, you'll notice this over here, this is the number of families and individuals who give. This is the amount. This is 10000 and over. Um, and you can see what's going on there. Uh, there's 5,000, 2,500 and above, 1,500, 250, 100, and under 100. So there's three things I want us to learn from these charts. Okay? One, we're not a rich church. Okay? There's not a lot happening over here the, the, you know, in, the, in the really large gifts. We're thankful for those in our church who are able to give large gifts and inspire us all by their example. But they're not a lot of, a lot of those folk in our midst. Um, the second thing is that I want to point out to you is that some of us can and should do more to be generous to the needs of the church we love. Okay? Let me explain to you why. I don't know what category God has blessed you to be in, but there's a category that I don't show. It's over here. And it is twice as tall as any category on the chart. Over 100 families and singles who call North Wake home do not participate in this offering. Um, so it's twice as tall as our tallest membership. And uh, some of you can. God is enabling you. And you should be more generous to the needs of the church you love. And we want to give you and encourage you um, as your pastor, I just want to challenge you to be more generous to the church that God has called you to be a part of. The third thing that I, I want to do is to encourage you that, as you can see, just by the, the giving profile of our church, small gifts matter. They add up. If you feel like your gift is small and insignificant, that is not, that is simply not true. Um, it is 
the accrued faithfulness of many givers that our church is strengthened. Okay? Your gift really matters. Let me show you why. One of our uh, financial wonks figured this out for us. Okay? If the folks who are in this imaginary column over here, the hundred folks who are not involved, all got involved at the level of one fast food meal a week. Five or six bucks for your Chick-fil-A meal number one or whatever it is that you get there. If, if instead of that one time a week, you would give those resources to the church, if all of those families, those hundred families would do it just at that simple level, um, then our debt would not, that would accrue to over $120,000 in the next four years and our debt would be paid off not in five years but in four. Small gifts matter. Your participation matters. Now, it may well be that, you, um, that you're in a place where you feel like, I've got nothing. I give to the general fund, and, and God has me as a place where I'm not. Maybe I'm unemployed. I, can't, I cannot contribute. And I understand that, and I want to encourage you, when you make your commitment at the close of the service, just write on there, count me in. Count me in. And this is not a way out for you. This is a way in for you. Let me tell you what I'm going to ask you to do if you, if you mark your card in that way. One, you will, as a result of, of that, you will commit to pray for the financial needs of our church. You will be a regular prayer for the needs of our church. And in addition to that, you will pray that God will enable you to be generous towards our church in this matter. So you'll pray for our church, and you'll pray that God will enable you to be a part, giving financially to the needs of our church in this manner. So, and then we'll see what God does with you over the course of the year. But uh, we welcome that participation. Um, it matters, and God works in response to it. Your, as Jesus taught us, your two coins matter more than you know. Worship for the king, the strengthening of the church, and for the good of your own, own soul. So, um, as I mentioned, uh, those are some questions. I hope those answers help you, help you be clear about what we're about as a church and why we're about um, this matter. Now, I want to encourage you with a couple of things. First of all, I'd like for, to give you the chance to eavesdrop on another conversation with one of our leaders. So, I'm going to ask Gene Woodall to come up, and um, <clears throat> he's been brave enough to... Be willing to answer whatever questions I happen to ask him in the next uh, couple of minutes. Gene is a head pharmacist down at uh, Duke Raleigh Hospital, and he uh, has been a long time member of North Wake. Now, how long? Ten years. Ten years. And married to Daphne for? Thirty-eight years. Thirty-eight years. Uh, Gene leads a small group at North Wake. He's also um, an elder in training. As part of that, he is subjected to very early meetings at a little restaurant over here uh, just in the shopping center next to the church. And after one of those really early meetings one morning, Gene and I walk out, and every morning when we walk out together, there's a guy that has a classic 60s Corvette parked right outside the door. And we walk past and salivate all over this guy's <laughs> Corvette. And so one morning I asked Gene, I said, Gene, uh, did you ever have a sports car? And, uh, and he said, yeah, I did. And he unfolded a story of how God was working in his life at that point in time that I felt like would really be valuable for you uh, to eavesdrop on this morning. So let's pick up there, Gene. Did you ever have a sports car? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, about uh, 
we were about 20 years into our marriage, you know, maybe 18 to 20 years in our marriage, and uh, I was, uh, we were young professionals and uh, quite successful, and, but we, we also liked the things, and we liked material things, house, and, uh, cars, and things like that, and, and I'd been wanting a, some type of sports car, so uh, I saw this uh, Toyota Supra really liked, and so uh, I pulled a trigger on it. And that began, we were already looking at so many things and doing so many things. We were already a little bit strapped for finances, and, and, uh, but I uh, felt that, that I really deserved this. I worked hard, and I, and, and, uh, I deserved having this and, and realized uh, that, you know, that, that just made the finances a little bit tougher. Uh, and uh, so in the midst of that, we, we began to struggle, and, and uh, it was a struggle to tithe, and giving anything above tithe was definitely difficult for us and almost impossible. So what would you say, if you could describe what you would say was the trajectory of your heart as regards finances at that point in your marriage and your career, and, and tell us a little bit more about how you felt like that was affecting you hmm. and, and your marriage. Uh, well, just uh, the matter of of being under conviction, and our giving was more tied to uh, uh, out of guilt than it was out of out of loving or or, or giving uh, uh, with a joy and and a heart for Christ, and and that began to be a burden on me. And we were actually going through some some training in our church about and reminded that uh, uh, all that we have is God's. We're just stewards, and uh, very much convicted that. Uh, I had really, really missed the boat. I'd really compartmentalized what's God's God's and what's mine's mine. Leave my stuff alone. And um, I was convicted that that was a, a wrong attitude and that everything that I had was God's. And I really needed to learn how to surrender. And Daphne and I both working towards surrendering all that we had to, to uh, what we have was God's. Uh, when, we, when we were talking that morning, I remember you said that... Um, at that point in your marriage, the trajectory of your life greatly changed. You said God, I think you said God gave you a spanking. Yes. I think that was the language you used. Yeah. I assume that means loving correction. Yeah. Um, how did that affect uh, the way you handled your resources and the way you saw it affect your heart as a result? Well, God was merciful. He was tender, but he kept pressing upon us. This is the wrong path. And as it was affecting our finances, affecting our relationship and our family, in our, in our, and especially our relationship with God, we, 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 we were under some conviction that things needed to change. And so as a matter of that, in a matter of prayer, we uh, asked God that, that we really want to turn everything we had over to Him. And God really convicted us, well, if you, you're saying it, but, but do you mean it? So as a matter of obedience to that, that commitment, we decided to sell a home and, and three vehicles and God took it, and he, and he, sold a, he sold our home and three vehicles in a matter of three to six months. I don't remember exactly how long, but it was a very short period of time. I said, okay, God, we're homeless and without a car. Uh, and, and so God uh, did bless tremendously, and he provided us with a, a home that more than met our needs and provided us two stable cars. And uh, we learned also that, again, this home was his, and we opened up our home. And, and tried our best to remain, keep our home open to his work. You know, we've had Bible studies and, and things like that at that time. And, and within a year, uh, my wife was able to come home. Daphne was able to come home and, and spend and be home with our children as, as a remainder of the time that they were in our home. So that's been a real tremendous blessing. And God just has, has responded to that obedience and that surrender to him. Um, Gene, 
being a pharmacist, I thought I'd give you a chance to write a prescription for our congregation uh, in matters of the heart as it relates to generosity. So what, what would that look like from, from your perspective? So I knew he was going to ask this, so I did write a little prescription in some, in some poor handwriting, I might add. Um, but my, my recommendation and my, my encouragement to you is that first consider what God has done and is doing for you. And remember first the gift of salvation. Consider all good things come from God. Prayerfully consider trusting God with everything you have and let that and the Holy Spirit guide you in how you give of your time and your monies to the work of Christ and to the church. Trust God to meet your needs as you surrender all your life and possessions to Him. And I do want to comment that, that Daphne and I haven't perfected this. This is an ongoing challenge and ongoing effort in our lives. But we know that God is true to his word as we endeavor to surrender all that we have to him. Thanks, Gene. Good prescription. Well, I want to encourage you as you listen in on some of our leaders' lives and what God is teaching them, how he is schooling them and the very matters that, that are before us as a congregation today. The other thing that I wanted to to do to encourage you before we uh, make this offering to the Lord is uh, to look again at the prayers of the Apostle Paul as we did last week. And as we look at the prayers of Paul, one of the things that you'll see if you just look at a list of them is that thanksgiving was huge for Paul. Um, more than 40 times he either prays and gives thanks or he encourages people to give thanks or he uh, and teaches them about giving thanks in his letters more than 40 times he does this. Um, it's like in Paul's mind, he is hoping that for us, thanksgiving will be kind of the salt that seasons all of our prayers. For example, from Colossians 4, continue steadfastly in prayer, he writes, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, that all of our prayers would be flavored with a thankful heart. Um, he says in Colossians 3, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That in everything, the expectation Paul has is that we would be a thankful people and it would mark our prayers. And I, I want to honor Paul's desire today by leading you, hopefully, in giving thanks for our church. I alluded to this last week, and I want to follow up on it today because I, I've had the privilege of pastoring here at North Wake for more than 20 years, and there is much to be thankful for. And so what I'd like to do would be use Paul's prayers as a prompt and as an encouragement to you all. So um, I told you last week that I would each week put up a prompt on the website that would help you pray these great prayers of Paul for North Wake. So if you, when you get your email called The One from the Church, you click on This Week at North Wake, it takes you to this page, and at the top this week is a, a thing called Praying the Prayers of Paul for the Church You Love. And it's just a prayer that you can make your own as a prompt to pray for us, for the church at North Wake. And the first one that came up this week is this one. In Romans chapter 1, verse 8, it says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because 
your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul gave thanks for the church at Rome because their reputation as a people of faith was being proclaimed throughout the world. And I would just say to, to that, I'd say, Paul, me too. Okay? That's so true of this church. Um, if you uh, walk into our offices, I would encourage you to do this. If you're going to do it after the services today or in the weeks ahead, you're welcome to. Walk into our offices, go into the church conference room, and on the wall is a lo- one wall of the conference room is a large map. And on that map are a series of pictures of North Wake families that have been sent out all over the globe. All of these folk, there are 43 pictures of singles and families that are currently serving around the globe from our church. 43 families. The back of your worship guide guide says 33. They're actually 43. And Rob Craig tells me there's another dozen in the pipeline. Okay. Um, It doesn't And we just don't send them out and say, you know, be warm, be filled, and and see in two years, okay? You guys send me and our other pastors to all these crazy places in the middle of nowhere to visit these people and encourage them. And it's not just pastors. We've got just regular North Wake families are going. In recent days, we've had a family go to Romania. We've had a family go to Turkey to visit people. And we had a family make the great sacrifice and go to Rome to visit somebody and hang out with them there. It was a a huge sacrifice that they made to to go there. If only we had somebody in Hawaii, right? Um, You know, I talked to, uh, we had gone to visit one of our families, and they told me a really sad story. They told me about a friend of theirs on the field, another missionary they were working with, who had been in their country. This is a hard country to live in for 14 years, and they could not believe that their pastor had come to visit them. Because in 14 years of living in the field, no one from their church had ever come to visit them. It doesn't happen to people from Northway. Um, see, uh, your reputation as a church, your faith is spreading around the world, literally. Paul gives thanks for the church in Rome whose faith is spreading around the world. And I would just say, me too, Paul. I give thanks for a church whose faith is proclaimed in Mexico and Rome and Romania and Bosnia and the Czech Republic and Turkey four times and Kenya and Ethiopia and India. There are nine families there. And Thailand and China, there are ten families there. And Papua New Guinea and even Tampa and D.C. and Rollsville and North Raleigh. I thank God for you. Because your faith is literally being proclaimed around the world. That's the responsibility and privilege that God has given to us. And I thank God for you. Now there's a second prayer of thanksgiving that Paul prays for the church that really resonated with me as the pastor at Northway. It's in Romans 6. Paul says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. He says something similar in 1 Thessalonians 2. He says, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. 
Paul gives thanks for these churches and the way they receive the word of God. And so I just want to say, me too, Paul. I love the way our church welcomes the teaching of the scriptures. Uh, I keep uh, in my office, both on my computer and in a, in a physical file, uh, notes of encouragement that I get from our church. I, I keep them. They matter. Those of you who send them, I have a pile of them. Let me read you some excerpts and listen to the theme that runs through all these comments. Just wanted to thank you for being faithful to preach the word in a way that honors God. I just wanted to say thank you for your message today. I praise God for your faithfulness to, and this is from one of our church planners, of course, carefully, thoughtfully, and Christocentrically exposit God's word. I wanted to write and thank you for preaching faithfully each week. I just wanted to reach out to you and let you know that I really appreciate you and the way you bring us the word each week. The sermons continue to challenge me to be a better man. Just want to say a quick note of thanks for your faithfulness to the Lord and his word. I just wanted to let you know how your sermon has impacted me today. Just a quick note to thank you for your faithful service of teaching God's word to us. I could go on and on and on. Um, it's always there. Thanks for being faithful to the word. Thanks for teaching us the Word. Give us the Word. Teach us the Word. Don't just give us silly stories. Teach us the Word. Maybe an occasional silly story, but teach us the Word, okay? That's what I hear from our church, and that is such an encouragement to me. It's such a safeguard for my soul because the, the slide in my profession is away from faithfulness to the Word and towards entertainment. What you encourage me in is a safeguard for me. I'm at one of, the, I'm at one of our small groups again this week, and uh, I'm, I'm talking with them, and one of the guys is sharing his perspective on uh, some of the good that has come to our church through borrowing. Um, for instance, we get to use this facility in advance, kind of having paid for it in full, and and uh, while appreciating his remark, I kind of blurted out, not real uh, thoughtfully, I just said to him, you know, I appreciate your remark, but I, I don't think God has such a happy spin on debt as you do. And so he smiled and nodded at me and received it real graciously. And so this week I get an email from him that says, uh, hey, thanks for visiting our small group Wednesday. You told me at that meeting that my views expressed on debt were unbiblical. I didn't say that. So this is what he says. So I've started studying to correct it. And he gives me a treatise on what the Bible says about debt. Who does this? Okay? You guys do this. You are students of the word. When someone tells you something, you're like those, that Berean church in Acts. You go to check it out and see if it matches up. You're in submission to the Word. You do what it says. Um, you really do receive it as the very Word of God, not merely the words of men, which is my labor and intent. I believe that a pastor and his opinions should be hidden by the beauty and the supremacy of God's Word. And I'm so thankful for a church that welcomes and encourages that. Paul gives thanks for churches that are obedient to and receive the scriptures as the very word of God. And I say, me too, Paul. I thank God for a church that sits in glad, eager submission to the preaching of the word of God. I thank God for you. 
Let me show you a third prayer that reminded me of you as I studied it this week. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the middle of all that, you get the idea that Paul is thanking them for a grace, a manifestation of the Spirit, spiritual gifts that are particularly strong and unique in that community. And he says that they were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge. Paul gives thanks that they had great giftings by the Spirit in speech and knowledge. And I would say, you know, me too, Paul. They take a different shape here than they did at Corinth. And I, I would say that our gifts of speech and knowledge play out in the area of really, really excellent teaching. At Northwake, throw a rock, hit a good teacher. Okay? They're everywhere. I mean, you go over and, and sit in one of our adult life change classes over in Building 6, and you sit under teachers who have PhDs in what they are teaching, or, or maybe they're PhD wannabes, okay? They're working on it. And if you went down, just down the street, people are paying thousands of dollars to sit under these guys teaching, who are teaching here, you know, for free. We are remarkably privileged. Not all of them have PhDs from that school. Some of them went to this school. There's a class ring from one of their school. Uh, we have amazing lay teachers who've walked with Christ for a long time. They've raised their kids. They've walked through financial uh, transitions and heart changes. And they're in there teaching us, sharing their lives with us. Now, our life change classes are on siesta until January as part of a transition we're doing. Okay? They start up again on January 12th, I believe. Don't miss this gift to the church. I can't imagine a place where there's better teaching going on uh, week in and week out than what goes on over there in those classes. Um, but it's, it's not just our adults. Our kids get really, really good instruction. Stephanie Jackson has, has pulled together really sound curriculum, uh, solid curriculum that teaches the Bible in meaningful ways to our kids. It's, you know, it's not just vegetables singing silly songs as much as I enjoy that. Um, it's real age-appropriate biblical instruction to teach our kids the names of God, the character of God. Um, and the teachers who are in there are amazing, um, really hyper-diligent. I know of one, um, uh, she stays up late preparing when her family has gone to bed, supplementing the excellent material I have with just what her class needs. Um, even though she's got 30-plus years of vocational teaching experience and could just wing it, she doesn't. She stays up late so that she is ready to give her best to our kids. Um, you know, Paul gives thanks for a church with gifts of speech and knowledge. I'd say, me too, Paul. I give thanks that I serve a church with great, diligent teachers from womb to tomb. I give thanks to God for you. Okay. There's one last prayer I want to encourage you with this morning. Uh, it's a recurring one in Paul. 
He prays it for the church in Ephesus and the church in Colossae and the church in Thessalonica and also for his friend Philemon. This prayer recurs in all those different letters he writes. Here's the one from 2 Thessalonians. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. I'd like to focus on that last expression of why he gives thanks. He says, I ought to give thanks to you because you really love one another. You are growing. Every one of you is growing in the way you love one another. And I just say, me too, Paul. That's, that's what our church is like. In the Bible, uh, love is action. Okay? It's not just words. And loving action permeates our church. Um, I'm at one of those small group discussions this week, and we're talking about the, you know, the budgetary needs of the church, and conversation changes, and I've got one guy who will not let me alone until I explain to him, are there families in need in our church, and how can he give money to help them? I mean, <laughs> he wanted to know. He's going to find out, are there any needs not being met, and what does he need to do to meet them? I've got guys who stalk me, I'm convinced, to find out. The one does it on Sunday morning and one comes into the office and they just want to know, is there anybody struggling, anybody suffering? Can we help? Um, and of course, the legacy of North Wake meals is legion. People have a baby and they gain weight. The whole family gains weight because we stuff them with marvelous food. Family after family after family. Um, our cars ministry has given away eight cars officially and repaired 30 more. I know that there's an unofficial cars ministry, and there's probably half a dozen cars I know of that have just been given by one family who had an extra car they didn't really need to another family who's broke down and couldn't find it, and they just gave them theirs. It happens regularly. Last year, we had a family of four displaced. They didn't have anywhere to live. So another family says, come live with us. We're not talking about a weekend. We're talking about for months. They just took this family in and loved them and let them live in their place. You know, Paul thanks God for a church whose love for one another is increasing. I say, me too, Paul. That's my church. I thank God for a church that gives away cars and money and meals and time and opens up their home, a church that truly is growing in their love for one another. I thank God for you. I thank God for a church whose faith is spreading around the world, literally, that sits in glad, eager submission to the preaching of the Word of God and obeys it. That the Spirit has given great, diligent teachers, like I said, from womb to tomb to serve us with. That gives away cars and money and meals and time. That truly loves one another. Paul said it beautifully, just what I'm thinking, when he said in 1 Thessalonians 3, What thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? I thank God for you. I thank God for my church. Maybe you feel similar. I hope you do. I hope that you have eyes to see the beautiful work of God all around you and through you. And so what we'd like to do now is 
in just a few minutes, after a few minutes of reflection that we're going we're gonna to give to you, I'd like you to bring your offering um, for our capital campaign for the coming year, your pledge card, as an act of worship to our good and mighty King, as a way to strengthen the church that you love, and as a, as a safeguard for your own soul as you train it to be gladly generous. Um, so the worship team's going to come and they're going to lead us in some meditative uh, scripture reading. It's a time for you um, to pray quietly or maybe talk together as a family about uh, the gift you want to make next year towards this great need of our church. And then when we start singing, when they lead us, start leading us in, in singing, um, I'd like to invite you to come forward and you can leave your uh, pledge card right here on the communion table so that it is for you a tangible act of worship to God and nothing less than that. Our first service, people did that, and the table was overflowing with commitments. So, let me begin our time in prayer, and then you can pray and talk amongst yourself as we listen to the scriptures read. Would you bow with me? Father, have mercy on us now. Thankless people who overlook the blessing of your church way too often. But today, we together, we give thanks. Father, I give thanks. It's easy for me sometimes to think about the things that are not right. And I confess that to you, and I give thanks. I give thanks for a church that loves you and loves neighbor. And I know that that thrills you. So now, Lord, may these offerings please you. May they train our own hearts, and may they bless and strengthen this church that we give thanks to you for today. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things and your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. 
Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also.